I remember talking with a Muslim family. The husband had come to Christ, the wife not long after, and they were driven out of their home. I asked him, you know, if you knew then that to, to follow Jesus was going to literally cost you everything, would you do it again? And I'll never forget, he smiled at me and he said, oh brother, in a moment, have you seen Jesus? He's beautiful. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in the studio today with Jonathan Ekman. He is our Vice President of International Ministry here at The Voice of the Martyrs, and also Matthew Hansen. He leads VOM's work in South and Central Asia. Both of them have just returned from a trip to Central Asia. We're going to talk about that today. Jonathan and Matthew, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks, Todd. Thank it's you. great to be Thank here. Thank you, Todd. First up, the the nations we're going to be talking about when we talk about Central Asia are nations like Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan and Tajikistan and Azerbaijan, that part of the world. What does it mean to be a Christian in some of those nations? What, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ there? So one thing I you notice once you get there is how small the church is. So it's a church that's under a lot of pressure, a lot of persecution. In some of the countries, it's definitely from the government. And many of the other countries, or all of them, you could say it's definitely social pressure from family, from their community. Because they're former communist countries, you also have this this paranoia. So it's hard to know who do you trust? Who do you even share with that that you're a Christian? And so it's to be a Christian in some of these countries is to be very alone. I remember writing a, an article for our magazine many years ago now, and the cover headline we put on it was between a mosque and a monument, kind of the the Islamic yeah. culture in the country, but also the, the remnants of communism yes. that are there, and the Christians are kind of caught between those two forces. Yes, that's, that's correct. And it's very interesting because, of course, most of those countries are still ruled by, by authoritarian regimes. And so they're, they're wanting to hold on to power, but then you still have Islam there. And so, yes, the, the Christians are squeezed between the government and then Islam, which, which seems to actually be growing in many of the countries like Uzbekistan. Growing in the sense of of more people becoming more devout about their Islamic faith, or growing in the sense of more people becoming Muslims. Yeah, that's correct. Like Uzbekistan is a is a good example of the government that's kind of increased the amount of freedoms for people to practice their religion. But in doing that, the the Muslims have have really grown in their fervor, and and then you're seeing more fanatical elements of Islam come into the country. So. You mentioned that the church is very small. How is the gospel spreading? How, how are people meeting Jesus? Yes, yeah, so the churches are, are very much going out, and I would say many of the churches are still very active in sharing the gospel in different ways. One way is reaching out to the youth. 
there's there's a huge openness among the younger people, and so you have churches that that are are doing youth programs, Sunday schools, and and for us that's just okay. It's a Sunday school, but you have to understand that a place like Tajikistan, it's illegal for anyone under the age of eighteen to to attend a church service. Wow. So for the church to go out and and hold these youth camps is actually quite illegal. And, and many of the pastors and the youth workers are, are fined by the government and sometimes even jailed when they're found to be holding these youth events. So there's a lot of outreach to, to youth. There's a lot of outreach in prisons. You know, so the government doesn't seem to care when there's outreach in prisons. Of course, the believers don't either. What can you do to me when I'm already <laughs> in prison? And and there's amazing, amazing outreach that happens in prisons. In fact, I would say half the pastors I met in Tajikistan used to be inmates in local prisons in these towns. There's a story from Tajikistan that that is certainly on my agenda for us to talk about today, and it it's interestingly it's a prison story, or it started in a prison. Uh, I tell the story in my book, When Faith Is Forbidden, of uh, Sergei Besarab, who was in prison in Tajikistan, uh, was a criminal, had spent something like 25 percent of his life in prison because of his criminal activities. Uh, he came to faith in prison. In fact, uh, one of his cellmates, one of his friends there was also named Sergei, who prayed, basically prayed him into the kingdom. And I, I tell the story in the book. He went to a city called Isfara. They planted a church, and Pastor Sergei was killed uh, for planting a church in that country. Uh, I know on this visit, you met his widow, somebody that I was with yes. uh, just four months after he was killed in 2004. All these years later, we're still walking with her. We're still encouraging and supporting her. How is she doing? Of course, she is getting up there in age, and and so and so she's had some some health concerns in the last year, but she's she's still as on fire as she was in in those days serving in Isfara with her husband Sergey. And I don't know if you recall, but she's the one even after his death that led the fellowship for the next year to keep it going and to encourage those believers. As you can imagine, she was in a state of mourning herself. So she's just an incredible woman. She's so respected by other women in the community, in the Christian community. And like I said earlier, it's so hard to find people to disciple you, to minister to you. And Tamara is one of those people that reaches out to new believers and and even older believers and encourages them. So it was, it was just such a blessing uh, to meet with her and sit with her. Yeah, Todd, I, I would say the highlight of my year was the, the morning that we spent with Tamara you know, as Matthew said, she's she's getting older and she's had some. She's slowing down, but she still has this fire in her eyes and this passion for the gospel. It made me proud that VOM, seventeen years later, is still walking with Tamara. She lives in a small, kind of Russian era apartment, but it's a nice little apartment. It's clean. It's, you know, for me as as the leader of our international work, it gives me great joy when we can say that we do those things, that we're not there just right in the immediate aftermath of, of a tragedy, but we will walk with those those uh, widows and orphans for the rest of their lives. And for me, I mean, what better thing is there to do? I know you guys heard a story from her, and I want you to share it. But before we do that, I want to 
I want to share the end of the story of Sergei Besarov as I told it in the book. Uh, we talked about him uh, being killed. We talked about the fact that uh, the son of a local mosque leader in Isfara was arrested for shooting Pastor Sergei Besarov. Uh, the last thing that I say in the story is, is a quote from his friend Sergei, the man who had prayed him to Christ in prison. He said, one day we are going to meet the person who killed Sergei because we have a prison ministry all over Tajikistan, and we will be ready to tell him about Jesus. That was what he told me in 2004. What, what's the rest of that story? What has happened to that man who killed Pastor Sergei Besarab? When I was talking to Tamara about this, she said when they caught him and he was in court, the, the, the judge asked Tamara, what would you like to say to him? And the, she, the man who killed your the husband. The man who killed your husband. And she said, and of course she's a woman on fire, you know, <laughs> and she told him, we have friends in every prison in, in Tajikistan. Your life is going to be very, very short. <laughs> so, but then she said that um, she visited a prison in Tajikistan and she went uh, into their prayer room and their chapel in the prison. And this young man that had killed her husband was sitting there reading a Bible. And by this time, of course, she, the Lord had worked on her heart, and, and she had that heart of forgiveness. So it's amazing. He did come to faith. In fact, in fact, the pastor, he's a pastor now, that led him to faith, that was his, his roommate in the cell, is, is, is so involved in seeing the, ch- the, the church in Isfara, Sergei's church, continue to grow and to mature and sending young believers to, to this place, Isfara, to see the church grow and to reach out to youth, the Lord brought him him to faith, and and it's just a, a beautiful way that God redeems the lost. And I understand the the cellmate that helped him come to faith was somebody Pastor Sergey had reached, uh, had witnessed to. Yeah, the pastor that led him to faith is came to faith in prison through Sergey's prison ministry. So yes. the the echoes the legacy of that sacrifice, the legacy of that changed life is now echoing into a third generation. And uh, I think about uh, someday in eternity, Pastor Sergey and the guy who killed him are going to stand side by side in heaven. Amazing the way the Lord continues to work. What were some of the other people you met or some of the other stories you heard about following Christ, but also, like you say, these these are real people. Their suffering is very real. What were some of the other stories that you are kind of carrying with you from that trip? I know one of the ladies that you met was persecuted by her own family, by her brothers and her parents. And um, talk a little bit about that that family dynamic of persecution. Yeah, so I met I met a young woman. Her name is Rhea, and I could say her name because it's not her real name. It's we could say it's her Christian name or or her redemption name. I would prefer to say, and Rhea means beautiful. And when she came to faith, she was heavily persecuted by her two older brothers, and and they would tell her, "You are nobody. You're the ugliest woman in Uzbekistan." Wow. And 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 just so much so much pressure and so much pain, and that's how she felt. And and her sister, her older sister, who no longer lived with the family, 
is a believer, became a believer in Russia when she was working in Russia. And she would visit Rea once a month and pray for her and disciple her, give her a Bible. And Rhea just began to grow in her faith, even in the midst of this pain. And, and that was her cry to the Lord is, Lord, when are you going to deliver me from this? And I'm sure many of our audience are like, yeah, why didn't she just leave? And one thing is you have to understand is, is for a single young woman in that part of the world to leave her family and live on her own is, is like declaring to society that I'm a prostitute. And so, so she is imprisoned, really, in her own house. And, and this, lasted, this lasted for four years. And then she, she discovered that her brothers were getting ready to, to marry her off to a, a Muslim man at the, that was 78 years old. Wow. And so she, she did run, eventually run away. And her sister took her and led her to the house of another believing woman who then discipled her and, to, and took her in and cared for her for the next six months. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Jonathan Ekman. He is the Vice President of International Ministry here at Voice of the Martyrs, also with Matthew Hansen. He leads our work in South and Central Asia. Matthew and Jonathan, is, is that kind of the common story? The, the persecution mostly is from family? Is that pretty common in, in the stories you heard while you were there? It's actually common across the Muslim world. You know, we, we look at situations around the world and, you know, with the fall of Afghanistan and the, the re, reemergence of the Taliban, you know, we've talked with many people about the, the situation on the ground for believers in a very real sense hasn't changed because their greatest persecutor is their family or their community, not the Taliban. Now, the Taliban, if they find them, well, are terrible people, but the the idea of being persecuted by your family is a very real thing, and it's pervasive. It's really around the world in the Muslim community. Within that culture, is there any any consequence? Like for her brothers, who Rhea's brothers are, they're beating her. She's locked in the house. They're going to marry her off to this 78-year-old guy. Is there any consequence for them, or it's just like, sorry, you became a Christian. That's really—it's your fault. And there is no consequence, Todd, and—, and even in these countries where we say the, the persecution isn't coming from the government. But the other side of that is the government isn't protecting its citizens, especially its Christian citizens, the minorities. So, so, so there's no one to turn to. They can't go to the police station and say, hey, my brothers um, have beat me um, or, or the village has ripped down my house or my employer has fired me because they found out I'm starting to follow Jesus. So like I said at the beginning, it's to become a Christian is to say, I'm, I'm going to be alone. But the other side of that is when they find that fellowship and they begin worshiping together and ministering together, there's this passion and this zeal to reach others. You know, like we were just talking about Rayash. Now she leads, I, I believe it's five home fellowships wow. around her home <laughs> villages that after she was discipled, she was sent back to. So God is using her in amazing ways, you know, and, and she is beautiful. She's amazing, you know. I remember talking with a Muslim family uh, where the, the husband had come to Christ, the wife, not long after, and they were driven out of their home and had had a, a pretty good life in the country in which they, they lived. And when he began to follow Christ and she did, they began to be threatened by their family. They ended up fleeing. And when I met with them, they were in a refugee camp. 
And uh, I asked him, would you do it again? I mean, you've lost literally everything, right? He was a, in many ways, he was a middle-class citizen. He lived just like we do, right? Had a house and car and a good job. And uh, I asked him, you know, if you knew then that to to follow Jesus was going to literally cost you everything, would you do it again? And I will never forget, he smiled at me and he said, oh, brother, in a moment, (laughs) have you seen Jesus? He's beautiful. Wow. And when you when you hear stories like this of Rhea, or you hear this brother that I've met, and even Tamara, they're incredible stories of of the power of the gospel and the really the beauty of the of following Jesus. And that's true for Muslims in Central Asia. It's true for Americans here. You talk about Matthew how isolated they are and how isolated they feel. What was the response when you guys got there and you're like, hey, we've come all the way from America to see you when they feel like, you know, they're so isolated and so few Christians. What was it like for them to realize that they have brothers and sisters, even as far away as America, who care about them and and sent you to fellowship with them? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing because they they realize and they get to see the, the bigger body of, of Christ. And, and when they do feel alone, they realize, hey, you know, we are talking, we are sharing your story. And this is, this is one of the, I tell people the biggest blessing of my job is I get to sit across from someone and hear their story and just ask them, I just want to hear your story. And, and, you know, nor- normally they want me to pray for them afterward. And I'm just like, will you please pray for me? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so, so just that common bond of knowing Christ, you know, and, and we are a family. And I love that, I love that we call each other's other brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what we are. And we have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in South Asia, in Africa, and even Latin America about what does it mean to be a family, to be in community with one another, and to share each other's burdens, and to share each other's uh, joys. And so it's, it's wonderful to, to sit with them and to let them know that, that other people, other brothers and sisters are praying for them around the world. It is like a family reunion. Yeah. You know, you, you walk in, I had heard her story for the 10 years that I've been here, so I knew who she was, and, you know, the... the Kind of in your spirit, you'd think, oh, it's going to be kind of nerve-wracking or awkward. And you walked in, and it was like old home week, right? It was like family. And I'll never forget, she had donuts and coffee. And so we ate a donut, not quite Krispy Kreme, but donut. And uh, and then almost immediately after that, pizza arrived. <laughs> yeah, so, pizza. I mean, it was like a feast. Oh, that part like, of the world, the hospitality is amazing. Uh, it was incredible. Yes, but yes, it is it like is. family, for sure. And I think— I think that's a key word because so often they have sacrificed their earthly family. Their earthly yep. family has turned against them, maybe in Rhea's case, even tortured them, punished them. And so that spiritual family becomes much more of a, a vital link for them. Yes. And in a, in a country I used to work in, the, one of the pastor's job was to find the spouse for the single people in his church. He was now, he was not just the pastor, he was the father. And and, and that's the same in many of the countries we work. It's that the church becomes your family and your support. I want to go back to Rhea's story for a minute. Has there been any softening with her family, with her brothers, or is that 
that relationship broken still. with the brothers it's been it's it's been difficult but as they've especially her parents as they've seen her just continue to mature in her faith they they've really been convicted in fact she's now going to her local village and sharing the gospel and and her prayer she said is that i will see my family come to faith but there has been a softening mm-hmm. but still her brothers are 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 quite anti her and anti Jesus. So that's something that uh, our listeners can add to their prayer list. Pray for Rhea's family, for her parents, for her brothers to come to know Christ. Uh, I know one of the other ladies you met was a lady named Gulia or Julia. And uh, talk about how she came to faith in Christ. The Lord used kind of a unique circumstance to, to bring her into the kingdom. She went to university to get a degree in the medical field, and she immediately knew that if she really wanted to be successful, she needed to learn English, and she, her hope was com- coming to the U.S. to a university to, to get her degree so she could be more successful. So because she, she knew English so well, there was a, a local Korean seminary that actually hired her to translate some of their teaching material. And she's also, just like Tamara, just on fire. And, and she said, so I, I went and I was translating material. And she said, every day I prayed to my God that these people would come to the, to the, to the truth of Islam. <laughs> you know? and, and she said she'd share her faith. And, and then one day she just, in, in a dream, the Lord began to speak to her and ask her questions. Who says I'm the son of God? And she realized that everything that Jesus says about himself is true. And she began to follow Jesus and gave her life to him. She was immediately kicked out of her family, like so many other stories we've shared. But but she had this passion to, to disciple people. So immediately, the Lord began to use her to plant house churches uh, with some other senior leadership in the church. And um, and she just continued to blossom. The Lord works in mysterious ways. You never know when you hire somebody to do a job, you might uh, get a chance to influence them. As you guys think about the brothers and sisters that you met on this trip, what, what do you want our listeners to know about them? Or, or how do you want us to feel that, that family connection within the body of Christ? Let's talk about Julia again. Okay. She... She would not share her faith with her family because she was in, in a lot of fear. And the Lord, again, gave her a vision, and she saw her family in, in hell, in suffering, eternal damnation. And the Lord asked her, are you okay with this? Wow. And then that's when she began to share her faith. So I think one is, is, is the audience to continue to 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 pray for our brothers and sisters in these countries, that, that the Lord will give them that boldness. But I think it's a message not just for them, but for us ourselves, right, in the U.S., that we've become maybe too comfortable with seeing people separated from God. And, and so we can just join hands with the family and pray for one another that we will boldly proclaim the love of Jesus and salvation that comes through his hand. I would also just say that, you know, Sometimes we get the idea when we hear these stories that that our brothers and sisters in a place like Tajikistan, yes, they're trapped between a mosque and a monument, but they're not curled up in the fetal position on the floor hoping not to die. The, the people that we met uh, have a joy in the Lord and uh, kind of a strength, 
And and I, so I, I always encourage people, when you think about them, think about the boldness and the, the courage that they show. And, and not that they're seeking pity. No one on this trip asks us for pity, uh, to feel sorry for them or, or help them some way, you know, because they were afraid. All of them are, are looking for that opportunity to share the gospel, to be faithful to Christ, no matter what it costs. I just want to tell one example of this. Met with a, a, an old Russian Baptist pastor, the religious police in Tajikistan. They kind of threatened him, you know, because Tajikistan is on the northern border of Afghanistan. When we were there, Afghanistan was, you know, in, in tremendous turmoil. Still is actually, but the the police basically threatened him and said, you know, if the Taliban come to Tajikistan and they talk to your neighbors and find out you're a pastor, they're going to kill you. And this pastor laughed and said, "Oh, <laughs> friend, Jesus told me that two thousand years ago." <laughs> and I, I just I, I hear stories like that. And I'm like, that guy's a rock star. Yes. I mean, he's just. I, I want to be like that guy when I grow up. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Jonathan Ekman. He is our Vice President of International Ministry, also with Matthew Hansen. He leads our work in South and Central Asia. What is VOM doing to help these brothers and sisters, the the people in these nations, people who are being persecuted by their families, people whose governments are not protecting them? What are some of the ways that, that Voice of the Martyrs is saying, hey, we want to stand with you? So one way is these are these youth camps that that they put together in both Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and other parts of Central Asia to be able to fund these youth camps and to encourage them to listen to the pastors and see hey what are what are some of the challenges you face the other ways are just serving the church in, in many practical ways you know one thing one thing is getting them s- small swimming pools so they can baptize one another and <laughs> Todd I know you've seen some of those pictures of people being baptized in those pools but they're just an encouragement to the church to now they can baptize a believer in the church with a with a swimming pool another thing i really love and some pastors in uzbekistan just said they really appreciate this is we we have a project where we provide them with tools so they can build their church. And and those tools aren't readily available in Uzbekistan. So we get them into the country and then get them to the pastors. And they just express so much appreciation because they can build their churches and, and fix up the churches that they do have. And then, of course, in, in encouraging and, and believers when they do get arrested, um, helping them get out of jail, or, or if they get persecuted, taking care of their, their medical needs. But standing them in many with them in many different ways, yes. How hard is it to get Bibles in that part of the world? Is it something that, because of the Russian influence, there is the Bible is available, or is it very difficult? Yeah, Tajikistan specifically, it's very difficult to get Bibles in there. Uzbekistan, it's loosened up just a little bit. There's ministries in Tajikistan that that print their own. Bibles and other Christian literature that they then hand out to people. So it's helping support those type of ministries, getting audio devices into the countries that have the Bible and other Bible stories to, again, encourage and help disciple believers. But yes, that's a huge, huge prayer for that part of the world is getting literature in. In Tajikistan, the government has to approve all literature that is published or all literature that is imported into the country. So so again, that's that's quite difficult. 
We've talked a little bit already. We always like to finish up with, okay, how do we pray? How do our listeners pray? And we've mentioned a few requests along the way, but what are some sort of overarching ways that we can pray for uh, the the nations as a whole, but also specifically for brothers and sisters in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan and that part of the world? One way is just continued unity in the churches as they work together, as as they fellowship with one another, that the Lord would, would strengthen them and unify them. And also that the Lord would give them that boldness, that they won't be intimidated and live in fear, but really live in the freedom of the Lord. And and, and they're doing that, but they, they, they appreciate our prayers, that they would continue to do that. Pray for the nations. Uh, pray for people to come to faith in these countries. Again, the church is, is so small. We want to see Muslims come to faith in, in Central Asia and, and, and see these nations transformed. Pray for more freedoms, that the believers will have more freedom to share their faith. Pray for the youth of these countries. There's so many youth, and they're wondering, what is, what is our future? So pray for them and that the church would be able to come alongside them and give them that answer of a future that they can have with, with the Lord and in his presence. I would encourage our, our listeners to pray for the Muslim world. We're sitting back and watching the Muslim world implode in many parts of the world. There may very well be a real opportunity for the gospel among Muslims because there is a a dissatisfaction, a disillusionment as normal rank-and-file Muslims who just do their jobs and go home and have their family are watching the Taliban and these different groups who are acting in just obvious, I mean, atrocious ways. And, and being somewhat being confused by, if that's Islam, I don't think I'm a Muslim. It doesn't mean they become Christians. But I think there are, and we're hearing that from many partners across the Muslim world, that we may be on the cusp of a real awakening among Muslims. So if you want to pray, if you look at the world and you find yourself afraid these days, pray for Muslims. Pray that God would soften their hearts, would open their eyes, and then pray for our brothers and sisters to have the boldness to actually go and say something. I think right now in my prayers, I am praying that often. That's also a good prayer for American believers, that we'll have the courage to go and say something. I wasn't going to say that, but you can. (laughs) Jonathan, Matthew, thank you so much for sharing about your trip. We are so excited about what God is doing in that part of the world and excited that we can pray and we can connect with our brothers and sisters there. Thanks for being our guest this week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, Thank you. You've been listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. If you have just tuned in, you will want to go to vomradio.net and listen to this entire conversation. You can also find VOM Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. I also hope you'll join us again next week as we continue to talk about what God is doing all around the world, bringing people into fellowship with himself, protecting them, encouraging them, even in the midst of persecution. Join us again next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.